Don't make me turn this podcast around. You're listening to the Reno Dads podcast. We're dads talking about dad stuff. We're doing the dad thing in the biggest little city in the world, Reno, Nevada. But we're talking about things that all dads and parents can relate to. We'll share fatherly war stories, discuss manly things, and even get into the tender moments of fatherhood. We want you to be a part of the conversation, so join us and listen in. Oh, and be warned, dad jokes ahead. Um, okay, so uh, welcome to the next episode here of the Reno Dads podcast. I have a couple of great guests that we have um, been fortunate to have in the community and wanted to get to know them as dads. Um, a couple of them have uh, gained a little notoriety, I guess, or a little fame over the last few um, weeks with um, in the community and, and, and beyond. So I thought it'd be a good time to have a, a conversation with some folks that uh, we haven't had on the on the podcast before, but um, so Jake's with me and Diaz and David. Uh, I'll, I'll just give you a chance to introduce yourselves. Diaz, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, my name is Diaz Dixon. I've been in the community for quite a while, born and raised in Vegas, but came up here for school and went off to grad school in Iowa and realized that Reno was not small or cold. So I brought my butt back to <laughs> Reno. I've raised all my kids here. Uh, I've got three kids and uh, two dogs. I I think I liked it better when I only had one as of two weeks ago. Yeah, you got, you got kind of roped into that, it sounds like. Oh, I got suckered into it. I thought <laughs> Peyton was going to like back me up. I thought my youngest would back me up. on. He's like, no, Dad, you need a dog. I said, well, football season, we're going to be traveling a lot. And he said, yeah, like you've never traveled with our other dog. <laughs> so he threw me under the bus, and I ended up coming home with a puppy on that one. Right now, I'm currently running uh, the Eddie House, which is a, um, a center for homeless youth in northern Nevada. And just trying to actually stay ahead and, and keep my head above water. I'm just paddling. Yeah, Roger that. And David, you and I met last year when we uh, we ran into each other doing the RGJ's um, Storyteller, which was a really yes. fun event. We both got to tell stories about being dads. Um, and I, like I said before, when we get started here, I, I was terrified. But you, you have this, you know, I don't know, you have a gift for being in front of a, a crowd. I have to say it was oh. really fun to watch. Thank you. Yes, I do enjoy attention a lot. Thank you. That's the nicest way anybody's ever said that to me. <laughs> so, so, yes, I'm David Gamble Jr. I am, I'm an attorney here in town. I'm a public defender. Uh, I am also a stand-up comic. Um, I've got two kids and three dogs, so I feel Mr. Dixon on that one. It's, <laughs> yes, and we're currently in the middle of a home remodel, so it, we are in confined space together, and it is rough, <laughs> so, <laughs> so to speak. Um, yes, exactly. So uh, I grew up in Reno. I we actually moved here. Um, my father got a job here in 1984 with the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges, which is why we relocated here from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That is a nonprofit that is based here. And uh, I, I left a couple times. I left for law school, went to San Diego. We came back and then I immediately wanted to leave again for, we went to DC after that. Um, and it turns out that the world is difficult and expensive. So I came home to where my parents offered free childcare. So here I am. <laughs> back for right free childcare, yeah. Yeah, oh, everybody, has a, everybody has a story of coming back to Reno. I, I only, I've only been here five years. So my, myself, I've, I've kind of landed here out of a, a set of circumstances. Um, yeah, so we, um, well, I, I think maybe one of the things that uh, was kind of motivated me to reach out to both of you was um, I saw David's post that, you know, it came out, I guess it was about three or four days ago now, maybe not even a week, 
on Facebook. And, you know, I, I've, I've now, like I said, known you a little while, David, and, and known you to be, a, a, well, as a comic and as a, a dad, I know that there's a lot going on in the community, but, and, you know, you had a personal sort of motivation to write something that was so personal and so poignant, uh, and then really captured a lot of people's attention. What, you know, what kind of drove you and what, what, what motivated you originally? So it was, it was a very emotional process, I think, for me. Um, watching what was going on in the streets, watching the uh, the president speak, I suppose, about about what was going on in the streets, watching people have Facebook arguments about it. And I just thought, for me, it is so clear what is going on. For me, I, I view what's going on in America as a continuum that I was trying to draw the straight line all the way back to my grandfather, all the way back to my slave ancestors and say to people, look, we're, yes, that's true. We're not slaves. We have the right to vote, but that does not mean that this battle is over. Uh, I still deal with these things on a daily basis. Right. And the other thing is I'm, I'm such a sort of jovial person generally. I'm always laughing and joking. And I, a lot of my acquaintances, I think, took that as a sign that like, well, it's not as bad as people are saying. It's not, I mean, David's fine. How could it be as bad as people are saying? Sure, sure. And I wanted to show that no, you, you hold on to these things. They become a part of you. And then it just depends on what you do after that, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I ran across it, I think almost as soon as you posted it. Um, I, I think I saw it almost as soon as you put it up and you were was, one of the first people to message me. <laughs> and, and I was just struck by the, you know, the, 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 the depth and the um, really just the vulnerability. I mean, I think this is a, you know, part of the, the conversation that, you know, I think we're stepping right into, which is, a lot of folks, you know, are just starting to now recognize what privilege actually means, right? What that actually yes. means and, you know, starting to understand that a little bit. And now the questions are like, okay, what do we do about that? And Dias, you, you've had a couple of conversations and I know you've been posting a lot, um, you know, sort of of your own thoughts about where things are um, and what's happening here in our community. Yeah, you know, I think, um, David hit right on the spot when he was just talking about how he was feeling. For me, three weeks ago, whenever it was, when the rioting was going on downtown, I had already been feeling all kinds of emotions before that with the incidents that had happened. But we see this happening over and over and over. Then when you see it hitting your community, the next morning I just woke up and I was just like, I was actually going up the Gray Eagle to hang out with a buddy. Yeah. And as I was getting gas, I said, I'm just going to make a video. I had no idea when I when I got back to my car after playing around the golf. My wife sent me a text and said, um, "I woke up this morning and my husband went viral." <laughs> I wasn't intending on continuing to do these videos, but I realized that I've been shortchanging a lot of my friends, a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my white friends, and making them to some extent think, "Oh, well, that stuff doesn't happen to diets," and I've been. And not on purpose, you know, because when mm -hmm. it happens, it happens and I just blow it off and go, yep, there goes another person with a racial gesture. You know, um, if it happens to me, I always thought, you know, if it happens to my kids or my family, that's different. But if it happens to me, I just accept it and let it roll off my back like a duck in water. And then I realized when people were speaking up saying, hey, tell me more. Well, really, this happens to you that, oh, there's a platform here that I have not utilized. And there are people who want to listen. And that's how the, and then every time I thought I'm not going to do any more videos, someone says something and says, I can't wait to hear what you have to say tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, I think part of it is just that is that, you know, getting people to listen, right? I think, you know, you know, this is where, um, when I, when I messaged you, David, originally, I thought, you know, I'm not here asking for, you know, instruction on stuff, you know, like, this is, you guys have had the burden of having to live through this. And like you said, maybe kind of play it off and maybe not make much of it because you didn't want to rock the boat. Um, well, the, the boat's rocking, clearly. So I was, I was thinking, um, Diaz, I think, hit it on the head. Um, you do, you let it you let it roll off your back. What I, what it reminds me of is my wife is white. And when we first started dating, she started to notice these little, these little microaggressions basically toward me. And they would make her so mad and she would want to go after every single person who did something. Then they don't become micro anymore. Exactly. Well, beyond, yes, beyond making the macro at that point. Yeah. You know, basically I told her like, if that's what you do, that is all you will do every day. (laughs) And you do not have time for that. It will stop you from accomplishing anything. You got to let some of this stuff go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I'm sorry. If I could add to that, though, the other thing that Diaz said was about people being ready to listen. And that was it. These were the stories that I put in my article or my essay, very personal stories. And there's one story about a time that I walked a a, a white woman who was an acquaintance to her car for a restaurant at night uh, to see that she got to her car safely. And then a police officer rolled up and shined a light on us. And she confirmed that everything was okay. And he drove off. Uh, and I said to her, he was worried about you. And she said, oh, yeah, because you're so scary. And then I told another friend, I said, well, I felt racially profiled by this police officer. And my friend goes, I don't know, that's a stretch. And so you just learn to stop telling the stories. You just, if people don't want to listen, it's fine. We'll just stop. But right now we're at a time where people want to listen. Yeah, and Dias, you, you, you seem to have captured a little bit more, I mean, in a, a slightly different format, you know, the the story the listening part. I mean, what's, what's been the reaction for, you know, I mean, you said you went viral on that first one, you know, how, how are people reaching out to you? So there've been a ton of people that are now friending me on Facebook, which I got to be careful of. Cause I've been, at first I started accepting a lot of them. And then I realized there's some malicious people in there that are friending me just to be able to say negative things. Um, but I have continued. And then other people were saying, well, can you put these on Instagram? Can you ask? This wasn't with intent. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I found it was really powerful is, you know, for the fact that I, I get an opportunity to be here on your show, Jonathan, is a huge blessing because uh, it's given me the opportunity to talk more and more. And there are more and more people that want to listen and people are reaching out and saying, OK, well, what can I do? So the other night I made like a little list of things that people could do. Honestly, I was thinking, crap, what 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 can they do? You know, I, I, I better start, you know, coming up with some really good concepts of what people can do to be a part of the change because we don't want this to die. You know, we started talking before when Kaepernick kneeled right. and then the, the, the narrative was changed and it was made about all kinds of other stuff and it went away and it, it, we were divided. So if I'm going to open my mouth and just like David, if he's going to open his mouth, we got to be ready to say, okay, here are some solutions. It can't necessarily be, you know, we got to open people's eyes and say, hey, this is real, and then be ready to have some solutions and have conversation. Now, we don't have all the answers. And David would probably agree with me when I tell everyone, I'm not the voice of all of African Americans living in Reno or Nevada or this country. I am a 
black male who has experiences where this is relevant. Just yesterday, someone posted, well, you don't have to worry about the police if you're following the law. And so I think it was two days ago, I said, oh, let me tell you my incidents where yeah. things happen. Um, yeah. So when you're asking me, what am I doing? I, I, I'm just talking. I am just yeah, and and, talk. and that's what we, I mean, that's what we have always, and, and Jake will probably back me up on this, is we've always said it here at Reno Dads, we're not about telling people what to do when it comes to fatherhood. We're more about like, this is our experience. This is, and we want to share our experience. And I think this is kind of the forum for that is among one of the forums that we have, you know, we have the blog, we have things that we do on Facebook and events. And then of course the podcast, but the point of this is to say that we're just sharing our experiences. We're saying this is our experience as a dad. And what we're hoping is that we can connect with other dads who say, wow, that sounds familiar to me. And, and now I know that it's okay to feel a certain way about maybe um, it, it's hard to be a dad, or maybe it's more challenging, you know, and I'm having these thoughts, you know, I know that Jake deals, you know, in his family therapy time with folks who are starting to like come to some realization, like when somebody comes to a realization around something that they, you know, have to really wrestle with, it can be a, a really challenging thing for them. Right, Jake? I mean, I think there's, you know, it's something that they're trying, having to confront. Yeah, I feel, feel a little bit uh, like the, the expert in the corner here who just shuts up until he's called. Usually on podcasts, I'm the one dropping in with uh, various insights. And I got so many things running through my head because I was trained to think systemically as a, as a family therapist. And so you, you see things in uh, what we call Holons, H-O-L-O-N, where it's like, you know, there's this system, but then there's this other system that overlaps. And it's sort of like a Venn diagram that um, has no end. Um, and, and I've got so much running through my head. As you guys are talking, um, as, a, as a white man, born and raised in Reno, um, I was absolutely sheltered. And I have no problem saying that. And I think many of us who you know, comprise the Reno Dads contingent, um, we struggled with whether or not we even dive into this quote unquote hot button issue, because that's not our brand, right? And yet simultaneously, we had this loyalty to advanced conversation about difficult subjects that often as as dads we don't we just sweep under the carpet because as dudes in general we don't handle emotionality well anyway so it was it was a really a, a deep conversation about whether or not and how we do this of course you know a handful of us were like absolutely we need to but you know how do we do it tactfully and diplomatically and not look like it's just tokenism and um and so that's a real fear too that that you know, you, you start treading into, into, a, into a hot topic, or as we call it in graduate school, a sensitive subject. And we're trained to be allegedly good at these sensitive subjects. And they, and they contain, uh, you know, substance abuse and sexual orientation and sexual activity and finances and things that polite conversation in the grocery store don't typically beget. We as clinicians are supposed to be mature enough to handle these tough conversations. And, um, and race relations is one of them that while it's beaten into our heads through our cultural competence classes, we're not trained to be competent in it. We, we say that there's competence, but it, it's, it's not a conversation. And, um, and it's, it's very, very challenging. So what's running through my head right now is like, oh my gosh, is Reno dad's going to get pilloried now in the community for having the, you know, the, the two black men on who are, you know, suddenly launched into some, some level of famedom in the greater Northern Nevada community. Uh, held out as like, well, let's go ask the experts. And I'm glad you said that, Diaz, because I don't think any of us on this screen are making any sort of allusions or references to the idea that we're going to lean on the, you know, the word of you two as the the be all end all according to Hoyle 
last word on uh, African American experience in yeah. this country. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, not you know, I mean, I think you're right, Jake. I think the point is that the you know what we wanted to do was reach out and say like where where do our dads you know as dads need to be um, looking for their, you know, I mean, it's not going to be, we're going to go, Hey, call David up and call Dias out and, you know, say, you know, but like, you know, there, there are resources out there and people should be, you know, looking for those and having those conversations with their families, ideally with, you know, the idea that, you know, that there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn and there's a lot to unlearn too, quite frankly. Let me, let me ask this. Cause I'm, I'm excited to be having this conversation and to, to like, you know, really, really try to wrap our arms around it. Um, I did end up reading your, uh, your, your post, David, because that's oh, why you. I was so si- silent when we were doing the introductions. I was like, I really need Thanks. to read what he wrote because um, <laughs> you're a smart guy. Um, and it, and it pierced me because growing up in this community and having what scant black friends that I did, I noticed it and I didn't say anything. And over time, I've learned to stand up and say that's not appropriate and call out people for, for doing inappropriate things of all kinds. But it, what really hit me was when, you get, when, when Diaz was saying, I didn't realize that I had like, there were people who wanted to hear. I was like, holy cow, I didn't realize there were people who needed my advocacy. You guys didn't realize that there are people who needed to be instructed or informed about your experiences. We all just kind of swallowed our tongues and, and why, like, I, like, that's where I'd like to go is like, what is the, what is this fear hanging over all of us that says, oh, let's just, let's just not go there. Cause as a group, we almost didn't go there with this podcast and that's not acceptable. That's totally antithetical to, to the mission. If I can chime in, we talk about that fear and, um, yeah. and, and Jake, you and I have similar backgrounds. And, and I always tell my clients, fear is false evidence appearing real. We fear things like all that. the time that are probably never going to happen, but they stop us from doing what we need to happen. And so then we think, well, we're we not going to be accepted. Are we going to be rejected? And what this is going to turn into? Realistically, you know, and, and um, if we can overcome that fear, which is what a lot of people are doing now, is they're getting in arguments on social media and feeling like that, that you, you said something earlier. You basically said your bubble's been burst because now you're seeing this now that your bubbles burst, you're like, I have this awareness. What can I, what, what am I going to do with it? Before everyone was afraid to burst a bubble for a long time. People of color have been trying to pop the bubble. We've been saying, look, look at this. Look, this is unfair. Look, look at this. Look what happens. So what we do, what we've done is my dad said, here's how you have to react when you're pulled over by the police. I had to teach my kids that very same thing. And you know, my, my older son, who four years ago was pulled over by Damani High School. Two kids, the two black kids were pulled out of the car. The one white kid was not. He was held at gunpoint while other cops pulled up. So it, it still happens. And now when that happened, he didn't tell me. I found out through a police officer, actually. Rather than me going, hey, guys, look, look what happened. You get tired of people going, yeah, but what was he doing and where was he and was it, he was speeding. Wow. And, yeah, and he was goofing off. He shouldn't have been goofing off in the car. So I think this time is different now because you guys, these two dads over here that are sitting on this side of my screen are listening. You're giving us an opportunity to listen. That's why I have hope. If David listens to me, big deal. Of course he's going to listen. <laughs> of course I'm going to listen to him. But the greater majority, no great movement happens without the majority supporting it. And so the, the women's movement doesn't go where it 
without, where it made it without strong men. As minorities, we need our white brothers and sisters saying, we see you. Well, and yeah. Yeah. You, you guys, you guys are woke. Uh, well, I, I don't want to take I don't want to take that label yet. I mean, I feel like I've I've learned a lot. I grew up in New York City, so I, I mean, I have a, a different perspective on what oh. a city feels like. Right. Um, yeah. And so sure. that to me is, you know, both an advantage and maybe also kind of like a, a little bit of a crutch. You know, I should probably be a little bit more active, you know. So now my my responsibility isn't to be sort of, you know, available to talk and available to listen, but more available to do. Right. Because I feel like I, I, I have that responsibility. But like that said, you know, what you just said Dias, is, is great to hear like the what what I what I'm hoping and what we're all hoping, I think, who are, you know, thinking progressively is that there's this progress is made because not because, you know, there's a black community and a white community, but because there's a community that's decided that we are not going to see. You know, we're not going to see this, you know, we're not going to continue the, these practices in a way that disadvantage a group of us that are still in our same community. We all live here in Reno, northern Nevada. I think that that's what I read in the things that I'm reading and seeing and, and watching with my kids. It's, it's more about, you know, learning about the history of it because that's the weight of it, right? David, you, you said, you know, earlier about your grandfather and, and you know, and your ancestors that's the weight of it. When you talk about 400 years, you know, here in, in this, in this continent of, you know, that, um, you know, that history, it, it doesn't go away in 50 years, you know, since, yeah. you know, Martin Luther King. Yeah. Something that, that has repeatedly come up recently that I, that I cited in my essay was um, the, the Tulsa, the black wall street massacre, um, which for a while was called the Tulsa race riot to try to muddy the waters a bit, to make right. it seem as though the residents of Tulsa uh, or of Black Wall Street were the ones who had begun it, when in fact it was it was a, a community of white citizens who, uh, I don't know, just didn't like to see a well-to-do Black community and leveled it over the course yeah. of a couple of days. Killed 300 men, women, and children. And that story was not known by a lot of people. I didn't even know that story until 2011 or 2012. And so if you don't know stories like that, then you would think, well, why are these people so upset? You know, it's not that bad. And then when you start to go back and you, you read in my article, I, I shout out a bunch of black Americans and I say that their history should be American history, not black history. And so my parents made sure that I knew who, who uh, black inventors were, who uh, my favorite composer was Scott Joplin when I took piano lessons. So I loved to play ragtime jazz. And so my parents made sure to expose me to those things so that I knew the history. Uh, and I, I mean, it is a, a cliche, but those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. And I think that's what we're seeing in the streets of America currently. We saw it in the 1960s. We saw it in the 1860s. And hopefully we will not be seeing it in the 2060s. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to know. part of me that feels guilty when I look at, David is quite a bit younger than I am. And imagine had I like spoke up to some extent um, more like now, maybe it would be easier for him. So I can't save it for David, but now... <laughs> Maybe when we're looking at our kids and our grandkids, that 
it'll be different. Twenty twenty. Well, and we, we didn't have the social media platforms, obviously, that, you, you know, we have right now. And I think that made a that's huge true. difference in terms of what you guys have been able, in terms of your reach, for sure. And I think that's part of what, you know, Reno Dads is, you know, is also thinking about. And we, we, we really do want to come at this from the standpoint of what, you know, what is it like as dads? Not, you know, in, in any other context is like, we, we really think about this from a dad's perspective, because that's our, what, what our mission is, is to talk about and open up the conversation about fatherhood here in Reno and the Northern Nevada area. And it, it includes this topic now, you know, especially because of the, you know, the events of the last few weeks, but obviously our lived experience, you know, Jake's and mine is a, is different. And we're trying now to, I think, understand and comprehend, really understand it and comprehend, you know, what it, what it might be like to have a different lived experience. Maybe, maybe you, you three guys can help me um, get my head around this corner. Cause I, I think what's standing in the way of a lot of my own white friends who are like, we're, we're grieving and I don't want to overstate that as some sort of virtue signal, but we really are like, like we sit there and we, we, we bellyache on text message about like, dude, this sucks. Like, except anything we do, it won't be enough. And I'm not talking about the individuals on the screen. I'm talking about like broader cancel culture, right? So it's like we try to do something and then there's this apparent fear. And I love, I wrote down your acronym when I was off screen there, a false evidence appearing real that we step out and we go, yeah, let's have a conversation. It's like, okay, now what? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm still learning. Well, that's not good enough. Uh, you didn't mean it. Uh, and then we get uh, lambasted for, you know, not doing enough. And like your white guilt isn't strong enough and you're not aware of your privilege, give all your stuff away, reparations. It's like, there is no end to the possibility of repayment of all the sins of yesteryear. And so we're like, well, if I'm just going to get crushed, then I'm not even going to try. And, and that's a very real presence among our, our friends who are like, I don't, I don't want to have that conversation because I don't, I don't want somebody to misinterpret my words and then like close down my business and call for a boycott like, like we're seeing. Right. And because I wore the wrong t-shirt eight years ago or whatever it is. Um, what, what's your guys feedback on that? Cause first, personally, I don't really give a rip what people call me, but I do have a business. I have 26 people working under it and 26 families who, you know, need, our reputation to be intact. And, and I don't, I'm not confident that in this culture where everybody's going binary hyperbolic, the balance and reason are welcomed necessarily. I think it's a live, you know, you learn more and do better. Kind of I, thing. I believe that too. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, and I, and I think we have out. to be, we have to, that doesn't mean forgiving, you know, completely what, what has happened before, but it means, you know, as you learn and become more aware, I mean, woke, <laughs> then, you know, then you, you have an obligation to do better. You have an obligation to, you know, make better decisions. And, 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 and that's, that's the part that's hard for sure, because the action is the hard part. The first step. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I think, um, something that we are missing quite a bit from American society currently is empathy. Uh, we have to have empathy for each other. And so I, uh, I recently had a white family member over to my house to discuss race because he'd made a Facebook post that I just thought was completely misguided. And he came over and he was perhaps a little defensive, a little angry. Um, but after our conversation, um, you know, essentially 
I remained, I attempted to remain calm and you can't get upset at everything that is said to you. After our conversation, he messaged me and said, Hey, are there any books you would recommend that I could take a look at? And then he proceeded to purchase one of the books. And so in that way, I had to have empathy for him because he didn't understand and he was being confronted with new ideas. And as a human being, generally, that is scary. You have to, especially if those ideas are rocking your lived experience. Yeah. You have to prepare yourself for that. Yeah, I agree. I'm seeing this like through a clinical lens. It's like, it's like ego dissolution. We, we get really locked into our egos and, and we know it really well. It's very familiar and we retreat to what's familiar, not necessarily what's uh, scary and better because we have to let go of something in order to exchange it. And there's no guarantee that the exchange is going to pay off. All right. So of course people are going to be resistant to change and resistant to ideas. It's, it's really encouraging that you, you give that testimony because it, it reaffirms what I, what I believe, you know, in one-on-one clinical setting, how do we do this in aggregate and make sure that we're having accurate empathy for people's ignorance? Because that's really all it is. Ignorance is ignorance has become an epithet now. And Mm -hmm. it's like, that's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not bad or good. It just simply is just a lack of information. So who's going to provide that? Well, it's a lack of experience, you know, and I think, you sure. know, what we've said before is this is a lived experience that is different, you know, you know, in, in, in large swaths of people who have. And so when you are confronted with that, David, as you described, it's a, it can rock your world and it can make things so like, like spinning your whole world is spinning in the other direction. You know, I agree. And I think that, as Jake said, ignorance has kind of become an epithet. And I, I understand why it is not, uh, or should not be. But willful ignorance should be once you are presented the information, you should be ready to further explore it. Um, And if if the information is available to you, and you've decided not to pursue it, well, then, yes, I would use willful (laughs) ignorance as an epithet at that point. Yeah, yeah. That's a decision. I think you have to be prepared too that, you know, if, if you come in and you're listening and you just make it very clear that you are coming in to listen and, and try to, you know, check your ego and your pride at the door and say, be ready to take it on because some people are going to, if you're talking to a, a black person, they might already be a little defensive. Like I'm ready to come with a little anger because you're, you're going to just shoot down everything. You've shot it down all these years before. Why wouldn't you shoot it down now? Uh-huh. And so, if they, if they start with anger, you know, anger is the one emotion that doesn't really stand on its own. It's, it's hurts bodyguard. So really anger yeah. is just masking, you know, the, the, the hurt. So then when all of a sudden you're letting down that wall, that is, like, you're dropping listen. some wisdom on us right now. You're just dropping <laughs> some wisdom. I have listens to my podcast. I think to <laughs> <laughs> write that down. So, anger is hurts bodyguard. So, uh, <laughs> That's great. Hey, yeah, Jake, I'm very Rogerian. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if, uh, if, if you can listen and then just like, sometimes people are going to go, wait, wait a minute, you just took all this I threw at you and you're really listening. That's, what, it, that's why this time is different because so many people are listening. And so I would tell all your friends, don't be afraid. Just go in because their hearts are telling them the, the goodness inside them as a human being is telling them that they want to listen, that this sucks. And then you get on an even playing field where then you can start con- having dialogue. Um, and once, once you get past those first couple of bumps, now what everyone's not going to be the same because you have yeah. some people out there that are going to be, they're going to be angry just to be angry or they're opportunists and they're just looking, what can I get out of this? Um, but 
for the most part, if you're coming and you're leading with love is what I always say. If you lead with love, it, it will shine through. That's amazing, guys. And, and I, I guess, you know, just kind of getting to, I mean, we could talk about this for a long time, obviously, and I know you buy, you're, you're both um, probably talked out, but I, I think leaving us with, you know, how are you approaching it? Like, what is the, the, the lesson for your children as dads? Like, what are you really, like, what are you telling them? And how are you, you know, how, how are you approaching it now differently from maybe how you were even a few weeks ago? Uh, where where are you today with your kids and what are they what are they seeing and i know that that's the hope for the future obviously what are the conversations as dads you you thought you think are good to have right now yeah what do i need to teach my two boys yeah and i think or you know and jake i think you know being you know being kind of cognizant of like you know we have work to do like which is to go Mm -hmm. out and learn and then you know bring that back to our families how how are you know how are we best, you know, equipped to go and, you know, to go do that. I mean, that's, you know, work on our parts as dads and as families, but also like, you know, hearing how you're approaching it with your kids, Diaz and, and David, like what's, you know, is there something that's changed in the last, you know, couple of weeks, especially with the, the, you know, the new, not new, but like you said, it's different Diaz. And I, I, I want to believe that. Well, for us, we've had these discussions since they were little. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and my kids are biracial as well. And I will always tell them, the world will always see you as black. Therefore, you need to be educated as being black. And they're, mine are older, so I would imagine my messages are different than, than David's at this point in time because mine are 22, 21, and 19. So um, it's asking them to pay attention because pay attention to what's going on around you. you. Always know your surroundings, but pay attention to what type of power you have, whether it's voting or using your voice, um, with whatever group you're sitting around and don't be afraid to share your experiences. And, you know, cause even Peyton and Bryson, when they were walking through Double Diamond, when they were in middle school, cars would drive by, they both had experiences, of cars driving by and calling them the N word. Um, but, Pay attention to your surroundings always. And then what I would say for you guys to teach your kids is, one, when you have little, for everyone out there, when you have little kids, give them books that expose them to all types of back, cultural backgrounds. Um, David hit the nail on the head when he talked about educating on history. My parents talked to me all the time about stuff that was not in the history books at school. So there's a lot of black history that's known. You know, and, and my kids would, I'd have them watch movies that had a lot of black historical reference to it, I would recommend that you do the exact same thing because the greater exposure they have to it, the, the better of understanding, the better listeners they'll be. And um, they will have a stronger impact on stopping people. When someone starts telling a racial joke, I don't know, that's not okay. You know, that, that'll be a part of their natural culture. I agree. I agree. The exposure is so important. I was just talking to um, one of my Jewish friends and he, he was telling me about the, uh, some of the discrimination he received growing or being in Reno uh, as a Jewish man in the 1970s or something like that. And I told him about how when I was in first, second and third grade, I attended what was called the early learning center. It was a combined classroom of first, second and third graders at the university of Nevada, Reno um, is it was an interesting experience. And one of the things that, that happened, however, was that one of the professors at UNR had uh, his children in the class with me. They were a Jewish family. 
And so around Hanukkah, he would come in and we would make latkes and we would sing, <laughs> uh, we would sing songs about sing the, the songs of my nights. people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we would, we would make dreidels. And so I grew up just thinking like, well, Jewish people are just different sort of, uh, you know, uh, sort of things that they do. And, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do with my children as well is just expose them to as much as possible. Give them, give them books that have uh, protagonists that are black protagonists and who are seen in a positive light. Um, and that's another thing that happens to you in society is that someone once said that when your stories are not told, then you start to doubt that they're worth telling. And that was yeah. something that sort of I felt growing up was kind of like, well, maybe our stories aren't worth it then because nobody seems to care about them. And so mm. you, you need to make sure that your kids know that. The last thing I would say is that I believe the research has shown that children um, as young as three begin to pick up on racial signals around them. And so what many parents, I think, have done is said, well, we don't talk about this. We just don't discuss it. We don't we don't acknowledge it. But that just means that your children are going to pick up on the racial cues from society. And those, uh, as we can see currently, are not healthy racial cues necessarily. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's one thing to have a whole avoidance of it and then expect that you're going to just be well adjusted. And that's yeah. not, you know, that's really not a healthy um, way to approach it. You know, when there are questions and there will be like, you know, why does somebody look differently from you or whatever? I mean, that's okay to have a conversation with even a really young three or four year old kid to say, well, you know, that's just somebody who's different, but they're, you know, they're still a person inside, you know, that that's a person. This is going to be a, a, you know, heavy lift still because there's a lot of inertia that we have to reverse. We have to go back and, you know, kind of, you know, counteract, but there's something that feels a little different this time. Maybe, I don't know, you know, guys, I, I have to say that this was, uh, you know, what I had hoped it to be, which was to have a really great conversation with four dads in the area who are experiencing what, you know, what this amazing community can be. I hope that, you know, um, you feel like you can come to the Reno dads community and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be, you know, we're all dads. Like that's the, that's the point. I mean, we're all dads, you know, sort of wrestling with what is, you know, a challenging situation and hopefully we're getting some, we're making some progress. I think, you know, being mindful of small bites is important, too. If you try to tackle the whole systemic racism for America's entire history, you're going to get overwhelmed and frustrated and burned out. So, you know, flip. it's it's almost like when you need to go campaign, you go door to door and you flip one vote at a time. And and this is what we do. We go to our best friends and we go to our neighbors and we go to our absolutely our, our family members. You know, when they send memes or text message, we go, that's not appropriate. You know, uh, the, the, nobody gets advanced through sarcasm. Sarcasm's root word is sarcare, which is Latin for to rip flesh from bone. So it, it, there's no, I mean, the if you think it's sarc in. sarcophagus is a limestone casket that literally is designed to dissolve flesh. So like, we can't be sarcastic about this. We have to be honest and authentic and genuine and open and vulnerable uh, so that we can receive the feedback that's necessary to grow in, in love and compassion and support one another. Um, and I think at times, if you get on the Twitter machine and you get on the the Facebook machine, and you, you can you can really get overrun by the overwhelming toxicity and the hopelessness. But what's important is stay right here, work on what's in front of you. Don't try to shout somebody else down at 280 characters a, a page, and you'll know, have really authentic, honest conversations. And, and 
you know, when I first heard about anti-racism, I was like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> but it's, it's true. Like that is it absolutely the it precise verbiage that needs to happen because that takes it from passivism to action. You have to do something. You have to be anti, not just, not just passively, not racist. And that's how you do it. You just put it, put up the stop sign. And say, I don't, that's, I don't appreciate that. Don't send me any more of that stuff. Um, hey, mind your tweets, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, th- that was more for the listening audience. And one thing I did want to point out for the listening audience, if you heard David reference the uh, Black Wall Street, Vox has a great series on that. Um, and there's also a book called The Burning, which um, if you haven't read it, you should. It's, it's yeah, we'll, we'll put some links up. And, and Dias and, and David, if you have thoughts about what you want to um, have us link to, I mean, we'll, we'll take them. We'll put them up on Reno Dads. Uh, we'd love to have you back on, you know, in a couple of weeks or months, you know, when we, you know, we see where the progress is going. But also just you know, you're, you're part of the dad community. I mean, we want you, you know, and, and again, I, and I invite you both, you know, if there's a, if there's stuff you want to write about and, you know, throw up on our, uh, on our blog. I mean, we, we have a pretty good audience and we get some really good traction with the, the stuff that we send out. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an open invitation to the community in general, you know, dads, this is what we do. We want to have conversations about being a father, teaching our children, something that they can be better than, you know, our parents were and that we were, you know, like, that's the goal. Like we want to, you know, that's what we want to, we want to talk about. Yeah. This isn't a secret handshake club. We want guest guest contributors. And if, if you're a comedian and have something funny to say, <clears throat> David Gamble, uh, we'll welcome that. Too, nobody uh, don't worry. has any sense of humor. I will get you that information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, with this group, we can't go wrong. This is JD too. <laughs> JD squared right here. So, you know, as I'm looking this at this is good. Yeah, no, I've got the same. I got the same setup. Well, thanks guys. Appreciate coming on. And uh, we're, we're, we're thankful to have you both in the community who, you know, uh, again, you have uh, both touched the community with your words and with your, um, and your stories. Um, and I think that that's really important to get those stories in a, out there in a way that people can hear them um, and learn from them and, you know, make, again, make better choices, you know, learn more, be better. That's, you know, kind of what we need to do. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate your time. You've been listening to the Reno Dads podcast on renodads.com. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Stop by renodads.com and click on contact us and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear on our show. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Reno Dads. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us. We hope you'll join us here next time. And we'll see you online at renodads.com.